The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body and won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollas, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Happy Friday, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. I am happy that you are here. And I've got good news to share with you guys. So uh, in the last two weeks, a handful of my kids that I've been working with and coaching for Youth America Grand Prix have competed in uh, a couple competitions. Uh, A couple went to Salt Lake City, and then we just uh, finished our regionals in New York City. And uh, one of our kids placed second place in the pre-competitive category. in the classical division, another one in the junior category, she placed uh, third in classical. And then I was lucky enough to choreograph a contemporary solo for Elizabeth Beyer, who won the the Grand Prix of the New York Regionals. So that means that she won the top prize in the senior category for both classical and contemporary. So. We had a very successful competition. All of our kids that did not place did very well. I was very proud to see how they handled the pressure and how they uh, they prepared for the competition. So a few of them are going on to compete this weekend in Boston, so I'll be curious to see how they do. Um, and uh, then from there, maybe a couple of them will get to go to the finals. So that's the New York finals where all of the top placers at the regional get to go compete. So exciting news for all of us um i'm trying to think is there anything else i wanted to share with you about that oh so my my schedule has actually so now that most of my youth america grand prix work is done my schedule is open just a little bit i i've been very uh excited to actually get a few hours 
to myself and even uh, a day off maybe once every week or two. I was going three, four weeks without days off at times. Um, so for instance, I, I like to go for walks around the city. So I get a little bit of time for that, but also now I have a little bit more time for, uh, other private lessons and for master classes and choreography and things like that. So if anybody is looking for anything like that, um, you're, you're welcome to reach out to me. You know the drill for that. You can reach out to me on my website contact page. Um, it's www.barrycorollis.com. Um, I also have many classes coming up in the, the city over the next few months. I just got all of my classes at, at Broadway Dance Center extended until the end of May, which is very exciting. So on Tuesdays, we have beginner ballet at 10.30 a.m. Um, and these are all at Broadway Dance Center, like I said before. Uh, I have advanced beginner ballet on Fridays at 6 p.m. I have intermediate ballet on Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. And then I finish an absolute beginner workshop this coming Sunday. So that means that the week after that on Sunday is my basic ballet class at 6 p.m. will be returning. I've also got from mid-March to mid-April a basic ballet class on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. So I've got something for all of, the, all of you guys out there, every level. Basic ballet, if you're just starting, beginner ballet. I treat my advanced beginner ballet more like an intermediate class and then I treat the intermediate like an advanced pro class because uh, the open class scene, it's interesting. Um, a lot of the advanced classes, if you list them, people won't show up um, because they're afraid that it's too advanced. Um, so I'm trying to bring that back to Broadway Dance Center with my intermediate classes. Um, other than that, uh, this Sunday, I will be teaching a, a contemporary class at Broadway Dance Center at 3 p.m. Um, so slowly starting to add some more contemporary classes to the mix. So uh, I think that that covers all of my open class schedule for the near future. <laughs> so, okay, <clears throat> this week I, I was thinking, I, so while I was sitting in the audience waiting for the award ceremony at Youth America Grand Prix, I was sitting with a few of the parents from our school at Greenwich Ballet Academy, and we got on the topic of what it's like to dance for a major professional company. So uh, if you don't know any of my background, I started my career dancing with Houston Ballet uh, as an apprentice. Actually, technically, I was a guest artist for a few months with American Ballet Theater. I was on contract as a paid dancer. I toured the Kennedy Center. Most people don't know this, but I was actually David Hallberg's second cast in the core when he would go into... Uh, what what were we performing? Macmillan's Romeo and Juliet went to the Kenny Center on tour. Um, but I was his second cast when he would go into the role of Benvolio when he was still in the core. So fun little tidbit of trivia there for you. Um, but anyway, so I danced with Houston Ballet for a year and then I danced with Pacific Northwest Ballet for seven years. And then after that, I, I freelanced for four years with companies across the country. But um, we were talking... I was talking to these parents, giving them an idea of what it's like to dance as a professional, telling them, like, for instance, at P&B, we had a 40-week contract in the other 12 weeks of the season. We uh, would go on layoff, which meant that we'd have to collect unemployment. Uh, I was telling them how we did 120 shows per year. We had live orchestra for all of our productions. We had a costume department. We had a set design scenery department. And... um, they were fascinated. I mean, it's funny because I've existed in this world for so long that uh, there aren't too many things that really um, 
not, I don't want to say impressed. What's the word I'm looking for? Cause I am still impressed, but they, I, I, it feels normal. It doesn't feel like anything that's like insane. Um, so when I get to talk to people about what it was like to, to dance in these companies, it's always exciting to see like how in all they are. And it really reminds me of why I got into what I do and it, it inspires me to really help push my students to want to be a part of our career because it is such a magical career. And so few people get to experience the joy of what it's like to dance, like, for instance, uh, with a live orchestra every night, that feeling standing on stage preparing and then hearing the orchestra tune and then getting in your places and having... Uh, having the production manager <clears throat> most people think the stage manager but the the production manager the stage manager coming on stage and telling you places and uh hearing the overture and then hearing that noise as the curtain starts to rise and feeling the rush of cold air blow into your face from the audience as the curtain rises it's just it's it's really cool um anyway sorry i got a little got a little pulled away into that conversation. But so today I thought I would share because uh, here at Potted Chat, if you actually look at my description, I say, have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall in a dance studio at one of the most prestigious ballet companies in the world? Um, and I realize I haven't talked a lot about what it's like to, to, to work for a professional company day to day. So today I want to just give you an idea of what a typical day was like dancing for one of the the country's most renowned uh, professional ballet companies. So I'm going to give you my experience with Pacific Northwest Ballet because I danced with them for seven years. Houston Ballet, I was there for a year. And um, it's funny because like, I remember certain experiences there, but because I spent so many, so much time at Pacific Northwest Ballet, uh, that is obviously my main experience. So I want to share that with you. So um, a typical day. So we, we had the way that our schedule worked out was we had rehearsal weeks and then we had performance weeks and a typical day was very different dependent upon whether we were in a rehearsal week or performance week so typical rehearsal week i'll start with that was uh monday through friday some companies like with houston ballet we did tuesday through saturday and we would have sunday and monday off i know other companies sometimes they they'll go seven days in a row and then they'll get a couple days off or they'll everybody is a little different and that's usually negotiated in their union contract but pacific northwest ballet on a uh, regular rehearsal week, we would go Monday to Friday. And then in a performance week, we would typically go Tuesday through Saturday the first week. And then we would go, I believe it would be Monday through Sunday the second week. So it would just depend. Um, like if we did a, if we had a triple bill, um, we would usually do eight performances. Um, but if we had a full length, we would do 10 to 12. So it just depended and it shifted based off of the repertoire that we were performing. But, um, so a typical day, this is for me, everybody's a little bit different. I would typically wake up around eight thirty, eight forty-five in the morning and I would have breakfast and then I would walk to work. Um, I never really owned a car, so I, I like to walk in Seattle. There were hills. So my first step out the door was a really big hill and then it was mostly flat from there, but I would try to arrive at the, at the studios, maybe like 15 minutes to 20 minutes early. When I first started dancing with the company, it would be like an hour early. But as you get a little older, uh, 
<laughs> you kind of just want to show up. Um, but a lot of dancers, they'll show up early to stretch, um, to do a little bit of cardio to warm themselves up. Or a, a lot of us, we had physical therapy exercises. So after I would show up at the studios, I would change into my gear. Um, and I would often go to the, the sign-up sheet for physical therapy if I was sore because we had an on-site physical therapist there every day. Um, and I would try to sign up for a slot between my rehearsal schedule. And then I would walk over to our 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 board where we had our our schedules and our casting and um usually i would know what my day was like before that because uh we were required to get our schedules 48 hours in advance so two days in advance um but i would just check it to see what i had and some days my rehearsal schedule would be packed i would have six hours or uh other days i'd have like an hour off and i have two hours here and whatnot so i would fit my physical therapy into wherever i had an opening slot sometimes it was during lunch sometimes it was if i if i didn't have a rehearsal hour when other people were rehearsing so um after that i would go downstairs into the studio and catch up with a few people um i would start stretching or doing some physical therapy exercises for any injuries that i had been dealing with or was recovering from um over time you start to learn um everybody's got physical therapy exercises that they're doing if they have a long career because you're always whether you are injured at the moment um or recovering from an injury or healthy you learn what your weaknesses are and you tend to have to continuously do exercises to make sure that that weakness doesn't become an injury. So for instance, for me, I, I had uh, lower back issues. So I was often doing abdominal exercises. So I might do some crunches or some ab exercises before class starts or stretch. But also, I, I often would have people running up to me as soon as uh, they would see me because I, like I, I, I said before, I was a union delegate for the American Guild for Musical Artists for three of the seven seasons that I danced at Pacific Northwest Ballet. So what that meant was I was responsible to be the liaison between the dancers and management if there were any issues uh, that would arise. So this could be something as simple as there was a, a mix-up with scheduling. Um, there were issues with people getting five-minute breaks because we had a five-minute break every hour. Um, so 55 minutes of rehearsal, five minutes off um, to use the bathroom or to grab a snack or just to let your body rest. Um, and then every once in a while, there'd be bigger issues, whether it was relating to it. maybe we were going on a tour and, or we had gone on tour and somebody wasn't happy with something or something happened in rehearsal. Um, there, there were a multitude of things that would happen, but so I, I would often listen to what they had to say. And then I had a notebook that I would keep things in. And then every month we would have a meeting with management and I would discuss them. The, those issues with management and we would try to come to a peaceful resolution between the dancers and the union and uh, management. So that's often how I would start my day. Um, and then from there, we would have an, an hour and a half long class with a, either a ballet master, ballet mistress, or with our artistic director. Every once in a while, a teacher from P&B school would, would give us company class um, and rarely but here and there if we had a repetitor from like say the balancing trust or uh if we had a guest that was in teaching for the school or the company they would teach the company class too so in these company classes uh it's very different than when you're in school when you're in school you do every single exercise as much as like as hard as you can do it uh and and as as if 
you do say jumps in the center, you do multiple times, get your strength up, you get lots of corrections. There's more talking in class because the teachers are trying to teach you the art form of dance. But by the time that you are a professional and you're taking company class, company class can serve a multitude of uh, purposes. The first and main reason that we have company class is to warm yourselves up. So it's it's really like a time to check in with your body. Are you sore from yesterday? How is it feeling? Do you, are you not rehearsing as much? So maybe you want to push yourself harder uh, than you typically would. Um, but it truly is a warm up. Um, some people, if they have too many rehearsals and they're exhausted, really they are just trying to warm their body up. So they may not do certain parts of exercises. They may leave class early, like after bar or pirouettes or jumps um or also if somebody's injured they may only just take bar um but yeah from there uh company class it's it's used sometimes for casting so if there's uh, a new choreographer coming in to create a create a new work they may come and watch class so they get an idea of who they'd like to call to rehearsals to to potentially use in their piece um, and it's also used for the leadership of the company to make casting decisions as well. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting because some people get lots of corrections. Some people are really there just wanting to be in their own space in, in their head and their body and trying to prepare themselves for their day. So everybody in company class is sort of having their own different experience where in a school class, everybody is there to really dig in and gain information and make their bodies strong and and prepared to dance. Um, so yeah, company class on rehearsal week was was an hour and a half. And then after that, we would usually have, uh, oh, I think I forgot, it would start at 10.15, so it would end at 11.45. So then after that, we would typically start rehearsing around 12 o'clock. So we would re- have rehearsals from 12 to 3 p.m. and then we'd have an hour for lunch and then we would have rehearsals again from 4 to 7 p.m. And as I told you before, we would have a five-minute break uh, every hour. So really technically rehearsals were 55 minutes. Um, and I, a lot of people don't necessarily know why we had such a very, such a strict schedule with, with our hours. Um, and it was because, uh, I don't know if the union did research or if it was, uh, a, a physical therapy, uh, company that, per, that worked with performing artists or anything like that. But there, there is, is research that's been done that says that dancers typically get injured if they've been going for more than one hour, um, or, during the the fourth hour of rehearsal so for that reason every hour the dancers have that five minute break um so that kept dancers from going for more than an hour um every once in a while if there was a special reason the ballet master mistress or stager or choreographer could request different time slots but it had to be approved by the the union for that to happen um so uh that was the first thing. And then we had a lunch break uh, after three hours of rehearsal because, like I said, the fourth hour is typically the most dangerous hour for dancers because it's really when their body starts to, to get exhausted. So we would have that lunch break. Um, so depending on what we were rehearsing, at the beginning of a rehearsal process, uh, usually the core would be separated from the principles in different work. So if, if we were doing a full-length ballet, uh, Sleeping Beauty, like Aurora and her prince, um, I think it's Florimund, Prince Florimund, um, they may not see the entire company for a couple 
a couple of weeks while they're preparing their different padada, their different solos and things like that. Um, and then the core will be by themselves learning the core dances. So we don't start from scratch with everybody in the studio uh, saying, this is the first thing that happens. You step on the stage <laughs> and then they come out and then they, they don't teach it in order. It's very piecemeal. Um, so that happens then slowly as you get closer to the end of the process, they will start to put people together um, into the places that they, they belong. And then by the by the week prior to the this the theater week the performance weeks you will start to have full runs of of the pieces so everybody will be in the studio and you'll you'll go through the order you'll make sure that everybody's spaced and then uh then you'll start running you might do it in sections and then by the end of the week you'll usually do the whole you'll do the whole thing and even for a few of them uh they invite certain donor levels to come in and watch that final rehearsal process in the studio. Um, rehearsal process was a little bit different when it came to things like, uh, when it came to things, uh, sorry, like works that were, uh, one act works or with choreographers. Um, if there was a new choreographer, they might call a bunch of people into the studio and they might actually hold sort of a mini audition or they may do some process work where they sort of get to know the dancers, let the dancers get to know their style and then, uh, start to build a piece from there. Um, we didn't have a lot of time to do that. When I joined Ballet X, the the year after I left Pacific Northwest Ballet, it was interesting because of the process that happened in the studio. Um, we were a smaller company. We had uh, fewer performances, and we had a bit more time. So there was a lot more process work where you would get to know the choreographer. You might do improvisation exercises for a week. Um, at Pacific Northwest Ballet, because we had so many performances, like I said, we had 120 shows a year. Um, we had six programs that in those 120 shows were included on and then Nutcracker on top of it and then sometimes touring. So we were rehearsing a lot. So we we had a much faster process dancing for a large company like Pacific Northwest, Northwest Ballet. So the process work with a choreographer was not typically as long as it might be with other companies. Um, but that rehearsal process would also go the same way. Um, it would start with the... the you you might well actually you might have everybody together but then once the choreographer starts to get an idea of what they want to do then they might start rehearsing in sections and then by the end they'll start bringing all the sections together to run it but it's really the most efficient way to do it because if if you have so many people in the room that are just sitting on the floor and staring at you it's kind of a waste of their time um also if people are just sitting in the studio and there are injuries happening or things like that then they can't be taking care of their bodies on on their time off so uh, so yeah, 12 to three, we would typically have those, those rehearsals. And then from three to four, we would have lunch where some people would either leave, uh, and go get their lunch or we would bring it there. I often would bring mine because, um, that would be the best time to do physical therapy. Um, and our physical therapy sessions were usually about 15 minutes of dancer. Um, sometimes we would split them depending upon, uh, the needs of people. <laughs> Sometimes you felt like you really needed something and somebody would show up with some, like a sprain that had just happened in the studio and you'd have to jump off the table so that the physical therapy table so that that person could be seen because they had a more immediate need. But uh, generally that time would be used for that. We would also have a massage therapist come in twice a week so you could utilize that. Um, 
for me, I really also like to use my, my lunchtime and my off time if I had an hour off from rehearsal to do my physical therapy exercises. Um, back when I was 24, my, I was having some back problems that were becoming recurring. And I was convinced that if I didn't really take my physical therapy seriously, that I would my career would have ended when I was 24. So I'd, I was a regular in the physical therapy room and I was known for always, because we had a gym in the physical therapy room, always using the gym equipment. So um, that was a daily thing for me, always doing abs, always uh, lifting weights to, and incorporating different things like lifting weights on a on a Pilates ball or laying on a roller or standing on a BOSU ball to incorporate my abdominal, uh, my abs and my core into all of my training. Um, because with back issues, you typically, you typically can't fix the back. You got to just strengthen everything around the back. So, uh, we typically do that. And then we would have our rehearsals again from, uh, four until 7 PM. Uh, it was always nice if you got off a little early cause you could enjoy more of your day or if you wanted to go, uh, to the gym or if you wanted to get uh, acupuncture or massage outside of that time um, you could do you could use that time for that so 7 p.m typically I uh, would head on home and then usually I would go over choreography uh, watch videos uh, maybe take a bath to let my body rest eat a, a nutritious meal and then relax and try to get to sleep for me I, I'm a weird sleeper I would fall asleep around one o'clock in the morning. Um, but I know a lot of people would be a lot earlier than that, but I, I go to bed at like two or three o'clock in the morning now. I've always been a night out. Um, so that was a typical day for a rehearsal week, but for performance weeks, it was, it was a bit different. Um, so we would typically start the first day of the theater week, uh, not in the theater. So we would go in on Tuesdays and we would have a typical schedule 10 to 7 PM, just like a rehearsal day, like any rehearsal day. Our schedule would start to get a little different uh, starting the next day. So the next day was our tech day, usually Wednesday. And tech day, uh, we would spend the first part of the day usually at, at the studios just as well. Um, class would start at the same time, 10.15 to 11.45. And then we would typically spend the first few hours in the studios rehearsing because they were loading into the theater. Um, like all, of, they had to put the lights up, they had to put the scenery in. Um, usually they would have uh, a lighting rehearsal where they would have the students from the school stand with costumes or the stage manager uh, stand with costumes and they would light the all the all the stuff, all the, all the works that were gonna be performed or the, the full length ballet. Um, then we would head over in the afternoon and, uh, all the lights would be on in the theater. No, it was just a stage rehearsal so that we could really just walk around and make sure that we knew which wings we were coming in and, uh, where we were standing on stage and we would go through things every once in a while we'd run things. But for the most part, it was really just sort of to make sure people knew where they were supposed to be. Um, then the next day, so typically on Thursday, we would have our, our dress rehearsal. So our day would start at 11, 15. Um, and we would go, uh, take class, we would take class from 1115 and it was only an hour and 15 minutes on most days of performance weeks. Um, so 1115 till 1230. And then we would rehearse, uh, from one until 4 PM. And that gave us some extra time to get prepared. Um, because sometimes people would have to wear costumes and different things would happen because we were at the theater. Um, and depending on the day, we might have company class on stage. We might have company class in the studio. It just depended. Um, 
Then from there, we would typically have a normal rehearsal on stage from 1 until 4 p.m. Um, and during that time, we might run the pieces. Some other casts might wear their costumes if they don't get a dress rehearsal because there was only one dress rehearsal, one dress rehearsal with the orchestra that we would have. Um, uh, that's actually a fun tidbit. A lot of people probably think that we rehearsed with live orchestra more than we actually did, but that's not how it, how it worked. The, the company couldn't afford to pay the orchestra that much or that pay them to work with us that much. So in the studio rehearsals, we would work with a pianist who would play the score. Um, so we always had live music for that unless we had an electronic score. Um, sorry, an electronic, some electronic music that had to be played uh, or some vocal music that had to be played with a, a CD. Um, once we got to the stage, we would also have a pianist playing. Um, the only time that we would actually perform or get to rehearse with the, the orchestra would be during the dress rehearsal. Every once in a while, if we were doing a piece that just had, a, uh, say, like one or two instrumentalists, um, they might actually come and play in the studio for us. But the whole orchestra, no, it was just dress rehearsal. So back to dress rehearsal day. So we, we would finish at 4 p.m. and then we would have three and a half hours off where you could go home and rest. I would usually go home and take a nap. I was a big napper when I was performing <laughs> professionally. Um, because you're just using so much energy that you constantly have to recharge, recharge, rest, recharge. Um, so I would often go home or go out and get a get lunch um, and then take a nap in the theater, uh, either in the green room or find a dark dressing room and sleep there. Um, and then depending on the role that, that I was I was performing, uh, we were all required to be at the theater signed in a half hour prior to call um, or, or the prior to the start of the, the rehearsal or the show. Um, and typically that was 7.30, so we would have to arrive at 7, 7 p.m. But if you had a very difficult part right at the beginning of the, the like once the curtain goes up, um, you would want to make sure that you were warm. Uh, if you had uh, an elaborate... If you had elaborate makeup or hair that you had to do, you would have to show up early uh, to do that, uh, especially if you had a makeup artist doing something for you. Um, if you want to get physical therapy early before the show started, you could show up for that. So um, even though call for dancers was a half hour before the show, uh, people were in the theater up to an hour and a half, two hours prior. Um, so for dress rehearsal, there was an invited audience, and typically we would... Just run it like we were doing the show, but every once in a while there would be something that would go wrong where they'd have to fix the orchestra um, and or say something went wrong with the scenery or somebody fell um, and it was just too disruptive, they would, they would stop the rehearsal. But generally what we would do, you warm yourself up on your own. You don't have company class prior to, to a show. Uh, we did my first year or two at, uh, with the company, but so few people showed up that they decided to just let dancers do it on their own. So by the time that you are performing professionally uh, with a company like Pacific Northwest Ballet, you have to be good, uh, good at giving yourself a warm-up because it it's wasn't common for there to be a, a company class uh, on right before the evening shows. Um, so yeah, we would do our dress rehearsal. In between each act, they would stop. They would talk to the orchestra, go over different timing uh, issues with the orchestra, maybe check something again. If there was a solo that went awry, let them have a chance to do it again. Then we would have a, a break 
like we would typically have our intermission during the shows, we would have a break that mimicked that. And we needed that because you needed to give the dancers time to go change their costumes, change their hair. If they were in, in flat shoes during one, they might have to put their point shoes on um, and all of that. And then the same process goes for each of the acts, whether it's a full-length ballet or if it's multiple works, like a triple bill. Um, and then the typical end of dress rehearsal would be uh, 10 or 10.30, depending on, on the time of the production. Um, and then you would go home and you would do your entire process again of going to sleep like you would during rehearsal week. But it's hard because you have all this adrenaline from performing <laughs> And you're supposed to go to sleep and get up again. Um, so a lot of people will go to sleep later or a lot of people will go out for dinner and drinks just to sort of like, you know, bring the adrenaline down, bring that performance feeling that down and all of that. Um, so the same process would happen again for our Friday shows, our opening night shows. Typically, we would have critics in the audience, which is always very exciting and nerve wracking. Um, and we might, again, we, we'd have company class in the morning and then we would rehearse one more time, maybe again, have the third cast or the second cast have their dress rehearsal. So the core might be in rehearsal clothes, but then the, the leading dancers that are in a different cast might have their costumes on, but again, no orchestra for that. And then we would have our three, our three and a half hours before the show. And then we would perform. And then the first weekend we did Friday, Saturday, Saturday, um, so the Saturday we matinee that we would have, um, we would start a little, a little later company class at 12 o'clock on stage. Um, and then the show would start at two. So you would have uh, one hour and 15 minutes, uh, for class and then 45 minutes to prepare to go on the show. So you actually did get warmed up for the matinee shows. Um, but it was just our, our daily company class. And then the evening, the same process would happen as you would do on, on your Friday show. Then we would have Sunday off, sometimes Monday off, and then we would start the whole process again. And typically we would have shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday the second week. So that is just a little taste for you of a typical weekly schedule of a professional dancer. Again, it's different for every company, but that was my experience with Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, it's funny because you, you get in the pattern of that um, and it doesn't seem like an odd schedule. But uh, once you're away from it, you realize that, I mean, most people, they work Monday through Friday. They do nine to fives. Um, they're pretty sure what their day is going to be like. Um, and it, their schedule does it never changes. But as, as a, a dancer with a company, your schedule is constantly evolving and because you are a city's culture and you are a city's entertainment, um, you end up working uh, evenings and weekends and you are, when everybody is off, we're coming to see you, you're actually at work. So it was, it's just very interesting to see, see what that lifestyle is like. And I thought that you might enjoy to hear a little bit, a bit, a little bit about that and make sure that I'm actually telling you what I have in my description for my pod chat podcast. So, um, <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed that. And if you would like to have more information about, uh, things like this, the everyday workings, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, or even if you had a different experience as a professional dancer, uh, I'm curious if to, to hear how things have evolved since unions started to really enter companies because back, uh, I know in the seventies, there weren't as many regulations, uh, the people could rehearse whenever. I remember hearing that story, how, 
dancers were staying with Twyla Tharp in a house and Twyla was inspired at midnight and the dancers were down in a studio uh, in the house from like midnight till 3am. So um, it's, things have changed a lot since then. <laughs> Very different experiences. But that's that's what I have to offer you for this week. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, so maybe we should just call it call it the end there. Okay. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram where my name is B. Carolis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about, where I had been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years, and that is currently archived. That's lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. I also have my new blog, Dancing Offstage. It's dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on there, I write about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel that features my choreography, and you can find that by searching B. Carolis on YouTube. Thanks for listening in to Pod the Chats. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.